Welcome to the podcast. This is uh, your inclusive activist, Rowdy Duncan, and I am bringing you something a little bit different and a little bit special today. Today is an interview that I did with Professor Eddie Webb from the New Media Lab podcast, and we're talking about a series of workshops that are going to be coming up in fall 21 on how to implement indigeneity. It's kind of funny that I stuttered over indigeneity because it's in the uh, podcast that you'll listen to. So with that, without any further ado, here is Implementing Indigeneity with Professor Eddie Webb. Good afternoon, everybody. Eddie Webb. We are here at the New Media Lab at Mesa Community College. And our guest today is communications faculty member from the Phoenix College, Rowdy Duncan. And um, we're going to talk a little bit today about the work that Rowdy has been doing with uh, supporting UTech to indigenize Maricopa. I'm asking Rowdy to go ahead and introduce yourself, everybody. Where you come from, brother? So originally Texas, then Wisconsin, then Minneapolis, then Phoenix, kind of the the steps there. And I appreciate the opportunity to introduce myself. Uh, I'm racially mixed. I identify racially as Native American, but I don't have an ethnic connection. Just due to a background with my family, um, I'm connected to Taos Pueblo through my father, but I never really got to know my father. We had to leave him at a very young age, and I was less left without the ability to connect to that tribal community. And then my mother has connections through Eastern Band Cherokee. Um, unfortunately, uh, being that we came from Texas, a lot of that boarding school stuff was literally beaten out of you. And they ask people to assimilate into whiteness. And so I'm a, one of those interesting folks. Like I have a racial identification with a group of people that identify <laughs> with tribal connection. Um, but, you know, kind of like a little bit of a racial ghost, I guess, out there. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot of folks like me with have that have the similar path and background. And I think a lot of like uh, urban folks that are native have that struggle of how do you connect? How do you be? And the more and more I study and more and more I understand that it's just about being in relationship and what are you doing to help your relations. And I'm doing all I can to live into that space. Well, welcome to the New Media Lab. Yeah. So I've been, uh, I don't, I have uh, probably because some of the things you're talking about, you know, my dad worked for the tribe. I work real close with my tribal council and stuff. And, mm-hmm. Uh, coming here to Maricopa and specifically Mesa Community College, since my tribe is in Oklahoma, um, I've tried, I learned the hard way, you know, to really stay in the shadows. Um, As long as people don't interfere with my constitutional rights and my tribal rights, I'm cool with, you know, being in the shadows and Letting uh, supporting tribes, obviously from Arizona, that is that is the right thing to to do, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, although I don't participate a lot in UTech, I, I watch what you are doing and what the, all those amazing folks are doing. I mean, it's been like somebody lit a fire over there, and it has been amazing to watch the work that you all are doing, the thoughtfulness and, and the inclusiveness that you're doing. But I also really, really like this last round of work that you've been uh, putting out, efforts to indigenize Maricopa. It looks like you have some workshops. You, you have a conference coming up uh, that has been funded um, through the Horizon Grant uh, to work through American Indian initiatives projects and programs. Let's start there. Give me the big picture on that, and then we'll get into the workshop. Well, uh, so give you a little bit of history on that committee. So as you know, at Maricopa, there's not really a committee that's meant to work with different students' identities, especially those of uh, marginalized backgrounds. Now, when you look at American Indian students specifically, and you consider consider tribal sovereignty, um, all the laws and legality that it takes to, you know, sometimes get scholarships, funding, whatever else, we were able to make a case for that 
make a case for the idea that there needs to be a committee that really focuses on these students, uh, given how many students that we had at Phoenix College, as well as the fact that truth is, if you're from a racial minority background, you end up doing the work to serve your students in addition to the work that you do also. And it shouldn't be that, you know, I'm here as faculty, I have to have my community responsibilities, I have to make sure I take care of my classes. And then also, in addition, I am doing unrecognized work and taking care of like the folks I'm in relation with. And so we really push back on that notion and just like, hey, that's work. That work needs to be seen. That work needs to be recognized. Uh, and I want to tell a quick funny story. Like when that, when I mentioned that thing, there was a white faculty in the room with me. His name's uh, William Schaefer. We know him as Bill. And he immediately is like, yes, that absolutely needs to be done. And I don't know who this is. And I'm like, who, who is this guy? Like me and this guy need to be friends because the fact that he just jumps on this is really important. And it's funny because I think some people maybe look at that committee as a scarcity mindset. Well, why do they get it? And, uh, and my whole goal with this is, yeah, well, we should get it, and so should your group. That needs to exist and be recognized work. But given that um, the student population is here, the tribal communities are here, you know, we need to, a group of folks that were a resource to the rest of our college of how to interact with and how to best serve these students. Uh, because Phoenix College, like every other college in the district, when you look at the retention persistence completion rates, we're not doing the job the way we need to do it. And we need to really take a critical look at who we are and how we're doing things and do what we can to own our issue. Because it's not the student's problem. These are amazing students. Right? If you can manage to be a native student, like an American Indian student, and come to any of the Maricopa Community Colleges, you're already just doing amazing. I mean, you're killing it in life. So... It's not them, it's us. There's something about us that we need to change because these are superhuman folks just to get to college. Uh, so what can we do to support them and really give them the resources they need to be successful? That's wonderful, man. So many layers to get through there. But I like the idea. It aligns very well, you know, with my life experience in terms of inherent tribal sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So we started out with, uh, you know, self-determination, mm -hmm. educational sovereignty, and, and then tribal critical race theory, mm -hmm. which critical race theory is on the chopping block across the United States from people that actually are practicing the reason why we need critical race theory, right? Because they don't understand. They don't, they, they don't understand that, you know, being a German-American or an Irish-American or Italian-American is cultural, too. See, they, don't, they, just, they haven't made that connection. Right. There's this assumption that the country was empty and that they came here, you know, and all that. And so it's a very interesting time. And I, what I really encourage when I hear this sense of... Uh, kind of that mandan, you know, stand your ground, stake out and say, you know what? That's why I don't put on my email uh, the signature everybody's putting lands. Of the, I, I'm not going to do that until I see real change. Right. Uh, I don't know if that's right or wrong, or but that's at least my approach. Uh, I want to see real change. Uh, we had tribal summits for years, and then uh, I was a part of those. And then they ask us to do another one. And I'm glad all the governors in the state of Arizona got together and said, no, we're not having any more of these tribal summits until you guys actually do something. Do something and we'll, we've done enough. We've done housing. We've done scholarships. We've done funding. We've done all the areas that we said, you know, if we, if we go up on a nation and ask citizens, uh, tribal citizens to come to Maricopa or Mesa, we have an obligation to take care of them. Not only an obligation, I think we have treaty obligations as well. You can't get a go up there and talk a parent into bringing an 18-year-old child down to Mesa and then they have nowhere to live or no food. You know, we can't do that. Right. So... I think uh, what you're doing in raising this consciousness and awareness and this accountability uh, is overdue, you know. But I like to tell our speakers, hey, you know, in fairness, we've only been here for 50 
lucky years. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so more specifically, you're going to have these workshops in August. The first one you're going to have is called Understanding Indigenous Practices. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, really, in the first workshop, we're going to attempt to help everybody understand everybody's been colonialized. Um, One of the things, like in reading John Trudeau's work, you know, when he talks about the people and how certain folks just forgot that they were the people. Like, I kind of sat with that for a long time and I looked at the, like, white folks that came from Europe. And I thought about it for a while and I was like, man, they haven't been the people so long. And some of it's because they've been the first colonized, right? Like, it's only the edges of Europe that really have any connections to their indigeneity with, like, Gaelic, Gallic folks, um, who were the really original tribes there. And, like, only in that far upper echelon regions do they have any connection to some of those tribal practices. So recognizing colonization happens to all people and that we all unconsciously reproduce colonization practices We need to understand what is colonization and how does that work and what are some of the assumptions embedded within. Then um, we're going to start to unpack the idea of like decolonization. Like, well, what can we do to recognize and stop those practices? And then we hope at the end of the workshop to unpack the idea that beyond colonization, like in in a spectrum of movement towards a certain ideology, we're really hoping to get to how can we return to indigenous practices and we don't want to say anything about rediscovering right because that's the wrong language it's really a returning to because one of the biggest things that i think humanity suffers from is we forgot we were all people of the land of blah and whether we live on the original ancestral lands uh, of where we grew up or whether we're situated here um, how do you get back into relationship with your land How do you get back in relationship with your water? How do you get back in relationship with all your relations, you know, no matter how many legs they got? Like, how do you get back to remembering that you were just a piece and a part of a whole bigger ecosystem rather than dominating or controlling or marginalizing or putting on a hierarchy hierarchy of life and value in life? You know, we we do that with, with our animals, right? Like, certain animals we can eat, certain animals we don't. And... That whole hierarchy of life doesn't really make sense when you look at things in indigenous ways. And the workshops are meant to how can we both understand how we've been taught and the unconscious practices we reproduce. And then also how can we collectively take that opportunity of a group of individuals to see the opportunity of a a small group of people that are willing to make a difference, that are willing to live in relation with one another, recognize we're in relationship with one another, to move in that direction, knowing that there is no perfect. Uh, my partner, she's, uh, she's white. She says, uh, you know, perfection is the notion of white supremacy that we really need to get out of our head because there is no such thing as static perfect that you can hit. We're just always in the process and effort of trying to make better or at least to restore balance with others. And that's a lot to unpack, and that's why we need four workshops in which to really do this with. Because uh, one of the nice things about me having the identity and background that I have is it's hard because I don't have a tribal identity, but getting to study different tribal backgrounds and indigenous practices and being seeing the, the world through more pan-Indian lenses, which also has its problematics too, I'm sure, as you're aware, Eddie. It's also helped me see themes, like mega themes of like how we did things. And, and this workshop is really, if we can recognize that everybody once did this and we're all, we ha- all it takes is an intentional to return, return to what we knew and that our relations can help us with this work, we can get there. John Trudell. Yes, you thank you. <laughs> so I knew John. I used to open John's uh, shows for him back way back yeah. in the day. I still uh, talk to Quilt. A bit. So I was that young group of uh, native guy, native young folks from the 70s that were doing poetry and stuff. And so we traveled with native images and different stuff. We were really, you know, processing our own identity, mm-hmm. mostly around what Paulo Freire wrote in the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where he says, it's the nature of the oppressed to imitate the oppressor. 
and by such action gain relief from the oppressive condition. We must resist that response to oppression. Right? That this idea of becoming like the thing that oppresses you to overcome oppression, that in itself is true colonialism. Mm-hmm. Because that there no longer needs a military or a police force because you have internalized the colonization itself. Mm-hmm. Leslie Marmon uh, Silco, in her book, Ceremony, opens it with this amazing uh, moment. I will tell you something about stories, he said. They aren't just entertainment. Don't be fooled. They are all we have, you see. All we have to fight off illness and death. You don't have anything if you don't have the stories. Their evil is mighty, but it can't stand up to our story. So they try to destroy the stories. Let the stories become confused or forgotten. They would like that. They would be happy because we would be defenseless. Right. And so it's about, like you said, not uh, rewriting or retaking, but remembering. John used to say, uh, the hardest part, you know, he would set it up where they want us to forget, you know, sort of what she's talking about. Yeah. He said, the hardest part about forgetting is the remembering that forgetting brings back. Mm-hmm. And so the journey, you know, that I've been on in a long time around these issues of my own tribe is uh, that, uh, in fact, my dissertation is called Resist, Reclaim, uh, along with uh, Tippeconic's work over at uh, ASU, probably one of the greatest books ever written uh, over there about tribal sovereignty and future leaders. This I, this notion of the more we, you resist, I mean, this is science, this is physics, is the more you resist something, the more you empower it. Mm-hmm. And so this notion of just forget all of that and let's go just back to our own original uh, instruction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I got to tell you one thing. We had elders over here and we did a documentary on uh, indigenous identity mm-hmm. on border town. So we went down into Juarez, Mexico, and Nogales, and uh, we were talking about how the you know the the border came to them, not the other way around. And no way, we sat in here and laughed and laughed and laughed because nobody could say indigenous. It was like like my uncle's trying to say alfalfa, you know, <laughs> alfalfa. And everybody was sitting here laughing so hard. Indigenous, indig- in, and then and then yours was indigenous. What is it? Indigeneity. Indigeneity. Yeah. So I'm like, I was laughing this morning, like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait to get some traditional folks in here talking about that, man. Yeah. But um, I love, I love this idea uh, of what you're doing. I can't wait to uh, to see, you know, like on the spectrum where everybody plugs into what traditional is or what an indigenous practice is uh, and how that is going to reshape Maricopa is in my observation is I don't think anything has changed. I think there's a lot of people with a lot of power that like to throw out some pity every now and then, which I don't want. Mm -hmm. That's not who we are. We're strong people. We had economies. We managed the environment. We didn't have standing armies. We didn't have prisons. We didn't have starvation. We didn't have any of these problems that Europe, you know, the Eurocentric models have brought here. The violence, the armies, the wars, the, you know, all of this. That didn't exist. I'm not talking about utopia, but at least we lived off a higher consciousness to take care of our people and the world that we lived in, Right. And I want to I want to see that, but I don't want people's uh, pity, right? I want empowerment. And what I see is the people like I, I, these Zoom meetings that we have. 
Sorry, guys. Rowdy's got me back in my 1970s aim mode here. There you go. That's what we're trying to do. I, uh, you know, Russell was like a Russell would come to my home, and I knew all of John. I knew Dennis. I knew Russ. I knew Floyd Westerman. My dad took me to my first aim meeting in 1973 or four or something. You know, like I've been around a minute, and uh, I don't want pity. I want people to be empowered. But what I see is as much as we talk about this big shift around stuff, if you're in these meetings, you see that the people who start to dominate the meeting, who are aggressive, right? Everything counter to indigenous culture. Like when they keep wanting me to present and stuff, I say to them, I always say, yeah, I mean, I'll do it. I'll go humiliate myself again. You know, they don't, they don't understand that. It just doesn't, because pride and proudful and being, you know, a braggart and, you know, this last president, right? Think about that. That's the virtue that we honor. And indigenous people, uh, Paul Hickey, who helped start this Navy Lab, we were talking about this the other day, even in Asian culture. Dude, that's, that's like the, one of the worst things you can do is stand up and brag about your work. Yeah. At home, when we have gourd dances and stuff, even like on somebody's birthday or a recognition, you never hand somebody a gift straight. Yeah. You have people come stand next to you and they give it to, you know what I mean? Like there's all of this culture. Now, I don't don't know about, I mean, I don't know about Arizona tribes. I've been to a lot of ceremony with my Pima relatives. Uh, My stepdad's a member over here at Salt River, so... Mm. You know, I mean, I do see a lot of similarities mm-hmm. around, you know, basic core principles of what, in, uh, here, what you say, indigenous, understanding indigenous practices, you know? So I don't know. How, how, how do you take a model that is very Eurocentric, very westernized? Uh, I mean, look around. You can see the people that rise are aggressive, man. How do you get people to understand that we have such amazing talent of, of native people who are not going to stand up and brag about themselves. How do we, how, how, how would you, how are you, how do you? Well, one thing that helps me and one of the things I appreciate that you bring up is uh, I have a friend who's helped me understand, like even indigeneity and indigenous practices had its struggle too, right? Like we were talking with uh, Roland Walker. He's one of the folks that sit on the committee with me and he brought in, uh, a friend of his named RJL, he works at um, uh, Diné College there, right? And uh, he was talking about how, you know, we didn't have this down either, really. You know, we 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 colonized each other, right? We stole, like he was telling stories about how Diné people store towels, people's babies, because you needed the biodiversity for humans, right? Uh, tribalism. Right? Um, and that... Uh, and then I had another friend, his name's Calvin Terrell. He's, uh identifies as, um, he has native in him, doesn't have connection to his native roots, but then is also uh, black African-American and really looks at like the patterns, right? And he talks about in indigeneity, there was a lot of different frames and how that manifested, right? So you'd kind of have tribes that were more matriarchal and primarily more gatherers and then some hunting, right? These are the folks that kind of did kind of what you're talking about best, right? Because it was really the old women that <laughs> kept us in check, right? Like, like the the folks that would. Pick. I didn't say that. <laughs> hey, I need my I need my women Rowdy keeping said me that. in check, like every day. Um, but oh, no, I mean old women. Yeah, yeah. Well, elders, right? <laughs> yeah. Elders, the smart ones, like yeah. the ones that would that, that could tamp down on the the, uh, the practices yeah, you're talking mothers, about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even them, right? They'd pick who we saw as chief. And this chief idea was a person that was in right mind, that whose heart was to serve the community. And these women elders were there to make sure that that person stayed in that mindset so they could be in best service. And then he also talks about how there's folks that were more patriarchal, they could be more situationally patriarchal, be they were more hunters than gatherers. And that's where in times of war, we could kind of move away from those indigenous practices that caused problems so there was always like a threat of moving to being overly like out of relation with one's neighbors 
And then he also talks about in the last area, like the threat. And when, when I talk about the threat, it's more of an idea threat than a tribal identification threat. It's more of a recognition of like, I think in an indigenous perspective, there's no God or devil. It's just all right here. And what do you do to recognize like even the devil in me, right? Like we look for enemies out there. Like, I think we need to be a lot more concerned. What is the enemy that is in a me that we need to reckon with, right? And so that last group of people, he kind of calls the, the monsters, right? These are the folks that let, like, some of those practices really follow on the wayside. That's where you would see, like, human sacrifice, cannibalism, um, like, dominion or domination of surrounding tribes. Uh, so recognizing that we struggled with these things too and how can we make this approachable for all people is something that's important as well and i think um that's how i'm hoping that we can have this conversation because i think people look at american indian people <laughs> and you know eddie right like everybody wants to be native american right um and i think the reason like only I wonder, the good stuff <laughs> right only the good things yeah um but but then also want to do it without being in relation and community that's not possible right right like uh i've loved watching rutherford falls i don't know if you've got to check it out on peacock uh but it talks about a young woman who's out of uh out of relation and she in the an elder brings her around and asks her to do work and service on behalf of the community to get back in relationship right and so for me it's remembering that though we though we have the tribal communities that may have better memories of these things because we've had the ability to protect some of those things given that tribal sovereignty that you've mentioned. It also is that this, uh, this memory of who we were and how we lived exists within all people. And so the goal here is to call that out of folks because I think there's a deep need for it, especially now. Yeah. Like I think now we either need to figure out how to live in relationship with the earth again or the earth might be like, man, you know, maybe I don't need people. Yeah. I think the earth's kind of figuring out whether she wants people anymore, you whether know. we want to live in relationship or not. And so it's hard because, yes, this the thing that you're talking about always will be an issue. But I don't see what we're attempting to do here as doing it in a Western way. Like, I really want to call the memory out in all people. Because I think that the journey I've been on is how do how have I had my call happen to and through me, even without direct connection to a community? And that's why I think it's possible. Like, yeah, you can't be Native American, American Indian, but you can figure out what your indigenous roots were. And you can learn about that. And you can bring that back to us because how they do it in like New Zealand with the Maori people how uh, the Gallic people did it up in Scotland. Like we need to like hear all it's remembering those stories again, because we're so out of balance that we're going to need all those stories to get back in balance. Cause I think we're just suffering from the sickness, you know? And I think like it's really been in talking to those tribal elders, those folks that um, are seen as medicine people uh, who deal with that shadow work that we all have within us um, that makes the opportunity exist. But I don't, it's not going to come from a top-down space in the way I'm envisioning. Like really I'm hoping we can create dynamic spaces of connection where people are mutually committed to each other, where we see each all other as co-conspirators and how do we think this, how does everybody have a say? Even in the workshops, we're not going to say do this. We're going to say, how do you understand this and how do we do this? So we're going to be doing indigenous practices and breaking into small groups and ask, okay, within the wisdom of all folks that are here, how do we do this? How do we start this? I mean, indigenized Maricopa seems frankly overwhelming, but if you can't imagine it, it becomes not possible too. And so that's the goal is how can we call out best in everyone else? How can we ask them to remember those stories? How can, even if it's not their story, how can they see the truth in it? How can they see them in that thing? That's why I love communication. When you put the stories thing out, like I feel like communication is 
spells of being or unbeing or value or disvalue, the way we talk about things and how we value or don't value things, like, creates the world we live in. And we just need to remember the stories and then find ways to create the stories of coming out of who we are into becoming who we want to be to really do this in an, as dynamic a way as possible. Yeah. Well, there's lots and lots of layers going on there. A lot of dynamics, you know. You're like, when as you talk, I'm like relieving my whole life you know, of all of the, the work that has been done, you know, in this area of creating uh, space, you know. I, uh, as a young guy, was elected on the NIEA, the National Indian Education Association in D.C., uh, I took actually uh, Stephen Lewis, who's the governor here now. I took his spot on the board for a couple of years, and I got to travel all over the United States. And we visited, oh man, oh, you know, almost all the tribes. We were traveling constantly. I got elected to serve under the first George Bush mm-hmm. under the White House Conference on Indian Affairs. And again, you know, you get to meet people all over the country. And today, it's sort of weird to see people who are revered as elders and traditional people who are, like, I knew them when they were young, when I was young, you know what I mean? They weren't, like, 10 years older than me or something. And it's like, wow, you know, that is really a weird thing to, to, to experience, you know? So many, so many things that you said there, you know, like this connection that all people are indigenous. I didn't have that realization until I actually worked in Europe. I worked in Switzerland and Italy, Germany, France. And I get to learn about the Inquisition over there, of how indigenous people, they they call them people of nature. Mm -hmm. How indigenous people over there suffered, mostly women, uh, were beheaded. Uh, by this uh, Spanish during the Spanish Inquisition because they use herbs to heal people, right? And then like these Irish guys, like you were talking about these Celts and the Northern Swiss guys and all of that. Like they took me to their ceremonies, like and they're like, "Wow, this is really weird, man. This is like stomp dance and sweat." But they would they build these stone buildings and they burn a fire in there and they take fire out and they go in and they sit and they throw water on the on the walls yeah and they sing and they tell their stories about where their river where they emerged from the earth like this is crazy you know and uh it really like you say opened my eyes to that and then i also like the fact that you commented on uh, keeping it real, you know, like this authentic perspective of indigenous people. I think you can look at the United States in sort of six primary regions and see how the environment would change the cultures of the people living, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you spoke about the women choosing the leaders, that was a very, you know, Iroquoian thing, East Coast thing. I, I don't know that that's true in the Southwest. California, again, the same sort of empowerment because there was so much abundance of food on the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, in the Great Lakes. There was no need to struggle over that. It was really about managing it. I just really dig that, and you know, create uh, this authentic conversation around what this means. You're not going to romanticize that. And I think that is essential, man, to reality. The next workshop you're going to do is called Returning to Indigenous Cultural Values. What's an indigenous cultural value? So some ways, like I like to explain things by explaining what things aren't first, right? So like if you look at uh, what does colonization do, right? Well, it, it sees life on that hierarchy, Right. The whole notion that life would be on a hierarchy is antithetical to kind of what an indigenous value is. Right. Like we're seeing now where people want to like kill off mosquitoes. That's going to be a problem. Like creator, <laughs> creator needed mosquitoes. And yeah, I don't like them. But like there's a reason. And when we take that out of the ecosystem, that's going to throw everything out of whack. Uh, so that hierarchy of life needs to be looked at and analyzed as to why why does colonization need that and why did that not happen in indigenous spaces? We're going to look at like the idea of reciprocity, right? Like 
Um, you know, I see you've got your cup there. And I think in indigenous spaces, right? Like I think in a Western notion, you fill your cup and if it keeps filling, well, you get a bigger cup. I don't think that's the way indigeneity worked, right? Like if you had a cup in it and it filled, it overflows and you overflow into the cups of others, right? That's that reciprocity that makes sure the flow never gets cut off. Yeah, seven generations. Exactly, right? Yeah. And then, but everybody used to work in a seven generation way. And how can we bring that out of folks? Yeah. And then I think the last one is um, is really that relations, all my relations. And, uh, you know, I'm just like you, Eddie. Like, it's funny, people are retiring now and they're like, well, you're the oldest person here. You're the elder. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, really? That seems like a bad idea to me. Yeah. But uh, what if our elders did that now? Like, what if they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. Like, I think uh, Tia was reminding me when I talked to her last week, Tia Brucehead from Scottsdale Community College. She's one of uh, my matriarchal leaders that I appreciate. She reminds me, like, I'm not healing anybody. She's like, you're creating a space to help someone remind themselves that they have the capacity to heal themselves. That's right. And then, you know, as soon as she says it, she, of course, just sees me, sees my shoulders drop. She's like, look at that. All that worry and stress just left you. Like, you don't have to be responsible for all that stuff. You know, like, you're just holding a space for that opportunity to happen. And so in looking at indigenous values, like, you know, we talk about Indian time and I was trying to explain Indian time to our community because we've got some <laughs> white folks in there. And I was like, imagine instead of clock time, that it's about relationship time and relationship time is what's most important because the time you spend, the time that it takes to maintain, like, I think the way to describe it in Western language is the need for ongoing relational maintenance. And because like, when are you done with a relationship? Yeah. Like, I'm in a marriage. When are we like, okay, well, I'm done having to <laughs> invest in my marriage. <laughs> I won't have a marriage <laughs> if I do that, right? And so we would talk about how if you have high relational maintenance, and that does require a lot of time, yeah. well, you can get work done pretty quick because trust is high, right? Or you're willing to sit through this the discomfort when someone has dissent or conflict, right? Because... If I trust you, you're in relationship with me. I believe we're going to get to a get good outcome because we've we've used that Indian time to connect and believe in one another. Yeah. And, you know, that Western notion of like, well, it's been 45 minutes, like we're done now. Like, well, no, we're not done. Like we may need to remember where we're at so we can pick that up later, but we're never done. Right. And just because we had a great idea and it doesn't, and it mean it's, it works like, um, Carissa Sundust, she was explaining land acknowledgement work to the CEC today. And we were talking about the idea that it's not a land acknowledgement. It's a beginning of a recognition of being in a relationship with someone. And even if you had documentation that talked about what that was, you are forever in a rough draft space with this document. The need to acknowledge that you're forever in a rough draft space with this document is what ongoing relational maintenance means. And so how do we unpack time in a way where we're like, well, what if time isn't so much about like, oh, there's only 15 minutes left to, well, how good is your relational time? How good is your relational connection? If I have to be late for work and my, you know, we're gonna adopt, foster to adopt kids, that's our goal. So if one of my kids isn't right, I mean, that's the most important thing right now, right? Like yeah. I gotta be there for them. Like everything else can wait. Like if, if I have class, I can, I can be late to class, especially if I have like the relational maintenance with them that I can say, Hey, there was this thing. And yeah, I put a note in canvas or whatever. Um, and we'll start a little bit late, but that's, what's important right now. And so it's, how do I help people understand what were the things that helped us live without police, live without jails? Like how could we have conflict? And, and how could we live in a space where there were like those all night sweats? How could we do those longhouse discussions with children in the space with us where they were engaged and part of the discussion? Because what, you're not going to listen to a good idea just because they're eight? Like, <laughs> a good idea is a good idea. 
And the more I study this stuff, they say like, you know, you need a young person, a middle-aged person, and an older person to make sure all perspectives are there just because you'll miss something if you're missing one of the perspectives. When I was doing my undergraduate work, I did a research for Dr. Gregory Shaw, who wrote the book, The Lompom Belts. And later, I actually ended up writing a book for the state of California called uh, Generations Our People Say. You know, you touched on this idea again, that people don't always know that the United States Constitution is based off of the Iroquois Confederacy. So we actually work with uh, the senator from, and the governor, actually, of Hawaii, to pass a resolution in the Senate that acknowledged that the United States Constitution is, you know, a derivative of Iroquois governance. And the center of that was a word called caucus. And so people would come together. That's what the government was supposed to be. The Congress and all of that was modeled after twin tribes would come together. I actually have a chunk of the old council tree that was like two, three hundred years old. And I took a piece of that. They were the city in, in Oklahoma, they were going to cut it down, I think, so they could put a, a golf course or something. And so uh, we all went down and everybody got a piece of that tree and I still have it. I was a young guy back then and I just sat in the corner and, you know, watched the people do their thing and I learned a lot. But that's what Gregory Shaw's work, Wampum Belts, if you really want to get deep into the Constitution, uh, he does a thing of where he has the wampum on this side and then the Constitution on this side and he just goes right through it. Yeah. The difference was what you've been saying the uh, Benjamin Franklin and those guys, they didn't have an understanding of women having so much power. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, women had the, the longhouses, the clan mothers had, had power to decide of, of all kinds of decisions, economic decisions, uh, war decisions. And there's another great book, The Ecosystem, Indians, and the Economy, Conrad wrote that talks about how British and the French, as, as, as they started to colonize, I like get the colonial uh, states, how they used, you know, like a blueberries where the tribes would manage blueberries, the ecosystem along the river, right? So that everybody was fed. And then they would go and take a clipping of the blueberry and then plow a field and then plant the blueberry in the field and then grow a crop and then put a store out in front of it and then you had to buy it, right? And so as I listen to you talk about time, that is a huge undertaking to redo people's concept of time. Now, my feeling was, if you're going to do this in Maricopa, you take over Scottsdale Community College and you set up a real indigenous college as a partner with Maricopa. You don't run them off completely, but pretty close. And at least you run off the understanding of the system, you know, and that the system is what's important. And the system is what we're trying to feed instead of people. Right. Because you're striking at things that are so core value to not only Maricopa, but American identity. You know, time, the clock, man. Like, if you could... As I go back and forth with this with my students, you know, I've had people say, oh, I'm on Indian time. I'm like, no, you're late, man. You know? And so, right? Like, no, you're late. I mean, there's just things that have changed and we need, you know. And so I love that. I love everything you're talking about. I can't wait to see it. It makes me feel old, one, to as you're talking about this, I look back and go, yeah, we did that in the 70s, and, you know, and, and we're still like, it's a new idea, you know, have we made promise? And then it makes me go, you know what, I'm a grandpa, you know, I, I, I think it's time to start looking at a good horse and, you know, these young people got all this covered and it's exciting. And then you want to do, so you have this, these sort of three steps, understanding, returning, and then applying. If you wanted to be real indigenous, there's supposed to be a fourth one, bro. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but, okay, so applying, how would you get people off the clock? Well, if you're asking me for the answer to that question, yeah, yeah. it would be wrong for me to tell you the answer to that question because I can't answer that question for us. Yeah. Right? Like, 
what you're going to take Rowdy's idea and Rowdy's idea is how we should put this down. Like that's already the mistake. So it's not that it's wrong. It's that that's a practice. That's a cultural value. Mm -hmm. You're just presenting an idea. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on that. Something you said earlier about evil. Mm -hmm. Like before Christianity, there was no such thing as sin. Mm -hmm. It was your nature. Yeah. The trickster. Mm -hmm. We explained everything through story. Yeah. And we didn't tell people this is because there was no there was no devil, mm-hmm. there was no hell, there right. was no e- eternal suffering of this that a loving God would make you eternally suffer, you know, yeah. if you didn't do what the priest said. Yeah, right. That's heavy stuff. Yeah, right, right. A lot of control there. Yeah. yeah. So this idea that you're saying no, you want to practice by just putting this idea out there and then let let it. Let it see where it happened. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. So to give you a better sense of what we're hoping to do there, yeah. right? So this is going to be truth and reconciliation, right? Okay. What has happened to indigenous peoples at Maricopa? What has happened to indigenous ideas, indigenous values? We need to hear about how it has been, the, the truth of how it's the hurt that's been caused, the pain that's been caused. And sit with it for a second and recognize that it happened. Because without truth and reconciliation, right, right, this is another indigenous practice uh, that's been used and replicated in different spaces across the world. Um, It's funny, I got to go to Nigeria in 2019. And it's funny because there, if you want to get ahead, you got to be Christian. And they really look down on the indigenous people there. And I'm like, don't do that. Those people know something that you need to know and remember about who you are. Because, like, I hear some self-hate in how you're practicing stuff here, and I worry about you. And I don't do it in a chiding way. It's like, I love you, and I'm worried about you. And think about this for me. Because I can't tell you how to do it either. You need to return. Um, But in this last workshop, we're going to take some time to talk about how has this not happened? How has there been efforts that have attempted to do these things over and over? Right. But then also, we're hoping people stick with us. We're hoping people go to all three. And then now we're inviting everyone that has been in community with us the last few times. All right, now, now this is a wider scope of indigeneity. Yeah, there's Native American, American Indian folks that are helping bring this forward. And that we were the folks that said, you know, we want to indigenize Maricopa. But you don't have, you have just as much a capacity to help us get this done as we do. And we've been trying to do it alone. And it hasn't, you know, some things have worked, some things haven't. Most don't work. Most don't go forward. But they have the capacity to stand with us in relations, right? Really being all my relations. Really like owning up that they could be that ancestor for Maricopa that created the spark of a change that really made something happen. And, I, you know, I can't tell you. I'm not a seer. I don't know if this will work or if this will catch on. But... I can tell you, this, these workshops, there's been no one in the U.S. that has done anything like this that we've found in our research. Regina University in Canada has done a practice like this, and we're hoping to bring some of those folks aboard with us. But we're going to ask, like in the final small group workshops, what can we do to make Maricopa less clocks specific and focused? You know, what's funny when you look at there's some seeds of what Maricopa is and how Maricopa works that like are really excellent. When you look at the fact that like taxpayers support us to the degree that they do and just trust us to do the job as best as we can, like it's not exactly an, it, it, there's a lot of indigeneity and kind of the idea of how that was there. We're just going to like offer this bit and trust you that you will bring what you do in the best way forward for us. But really, that's to listen about where there's been problems and issues to recognize that the institution of Maricopa Community College District isn't going to want to change. But, I mean, what is Maricopa outside of the people that make Maricopa what it is, right? If people choose to change or just stop enforcing stupid rules that have no meaning. (laughs) I had a friend when I was first starting getting into higher education, and he's like, you know, Rowdy, you know what my favorite thing about higher education is? He's like, literally everything can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, that is so true, because everything is such a made-up deadline anyway. 
Yeah. You know, like, do we have the ability to affect people's lives? Absolutely. But is everything life or death in what we do? No, no. But like, we do change lives and we need to own that. But also, you know, yeah. it's, it's not immediate, right? And so in that last workshop, we're going to ask, how can you personally commit to continue to indigenize yourself and indigenize the spaces that you work and use, like, I don't care if you're a student, if you're a temporary employee, if you're a work study, there's something that you can personally do to make your work and your space and the places that we coexist more indigenous in how you interact with the relations around you. My hope is that there's enough of a vacuum in our souls that when people act this way, they'll be called into wanting to do more of these things. Because movements start with seeing the best in folks and inviting that out of them. Yeah. And then seeing and treating them that way and hoping that they can respond in that. But I don't know what the answers are and I need everyone's idea of how to do this because you know, I'm just a member of a committee that brought this forward and I'm a member of the Native affinity group that brought these ideas forward. And I'm a member of UTech that brought these ideas forward. And we're having like those folks and building on the work that was done in those spaces. And, you know, the hope is uh, we're already looking at a next series of grants to take this next places. But the hope is, and this is not just a Maricopa thing, that we can literally look at education like systems and look at how do we fix those yeah. uh, and make that happen as much as possible. I think there's a lot of a lot of models. I mean, Dartmouth, Brown, Stanford, uh, colleges throughout Washington State. Amazing folks been doing doing this kind of work. But the notion of really centralizing this in the thinking and behavior throughout a, a system. I really, man, I'm rooting for you. I love this understanding, returning, applying. What an amazing event that would be. And it is going to change our, it's going to at least make people pause because to restore balance, some of these things need to happen, mm -hmm. right? Like this quality of the human experience is available to us. We, we just create all of this bureaucracy that adds all this stress to people that is totally, you know, I mean, look at, what our own faculty have done with PAR, you know, put people under a six-year punitive system, you know, that didn't, it, you know, it's that started in, as a punitive thing in Ohio. We've sort of re-kind of molded it, and um, we're going to actually have the folks on that are running PAR. And I understand the political part of, of that because... You know, there needed to be accountability for faculty, you know, that needed to be strenuous and challenging and, and all that. I, I get all of that part of it, and I, I do support that. Mm -hmm. But it, there's so much stress that goes with that. I mean, it should, it should be a celebration of what people are doing more than, a, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, improve it, prove it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think... As you are starting to introduce, you're starting to soften these corners and you're starting to do, again, what I really like doing. And that is the fight I've been in with these guys since a student at ASU is to humanize data, is to humanize our experience and stop treating people like specimens or things. I think Joseph Campbell, you know, a lot of his work that he spent time with indigenous people all over the world was changing the word it to a thou. Yeah. Right. And that once once we start to see each other as a thou instead of an it, we can really make some progress. And I think you're also definitely right. I mean, look at the violence that is starting to happen internally across the America, January 6th. Mm -hmm. uh, this frustration of, of people, yeah. you know, and then the ability to manipulate that frustration. That's what scares me. I agree. Right? And so, if we get back to uh, our humanness and, and reprioritize what what is our goal? Are we really trying to educate the person as a whole being, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just the fast track. Two okay, years. Yeah. As okay, fast as well, possible. You're, you're, you're this now. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, 
there's so much there's so much work to do. I hope we have the leadership in place that at least listen. And if not, I hope you guys just just take it over. You know, just do it. Find a find a place that's sort of you know the new media lab here is built off of all indigenous uh, principles. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen all the work that we actually do here with revitalization. You know, yeah. but it's it's pretty amazing, and we just do it. Yeah, we don't ask for permission. We just we just do it. But we do need permission because we need funding, and that's yeah. you know that's the where I'm the whipping boy and and all of that. But uh, man, this is just great work that you're doing. You know. Uh, I would like to, if you would be open to this or your committee, I would like to get some of our students to come and film some of this. Do some recording, maybe some interview, put a little record of this together. I think that, you know, if it's something you guys are thinking about, you know. Yeah, no, we know there's a need given that, I mean, again, somehow or, or another, this is like the first time this has happened that we can find in the U.S., right? So. Yeah. We're planning on recording stuff with the WebEx, and it's funny because uh, Carissa was oh, saying... Oh, these won't be... A, a, these will be online. We may talk over the summer about if there is a way to do both, because really, you know, can yeah. we do both, and how could we do both, and who are relations that could help us get both done? Um, because, you know, with all this, we need to capture what's going on, because this is our just our first fumbling attempt at trying to figure out how do we make this work with what we know and how who can help us get that done and it's funny because when you talk about workshop number four i think for me when i see workshop number four is all right well how do you live it you know because like if we had a workshop number four people would think we're done and there is no done to this like you need to now live this forward in the spaces that you exist and stay in in continual ongoing relational maintenance, continuing to struggle against your colonial thinking that's been embedded in you, continuing to try to decolonize your processes, continue to to, to imagine what, how could we do this in a more indigenous way? Uh, what would that look like? And how can we move towards a little bit better? How do we keep everything in balance and stasis? Um, there's no done to this. Uh, how do people respond to you when you use the word colonized or decolonized well what's been wonderful is uh my friends like i've because i've talked about decolonization and they're like you know there's something i think that we need to talk about that's beyond that idea and that's where they really encouraged me to use the word indigeneity and indigenization um because a real simple way someone to explain to me you can't do a don't how do you do a not do you have to use something different you have to look at you can't just stop marginalizing like what do you do instead of marginalization like how do you not you you can't just work non-hierarchically like you have to really give everybody voice a stake and the ability to change something for the better so it's trying to give language to a process i think because i've also had folks say like well decolonization kind of is indigenization and you know i'm not the arbiter of who and what language is there more so I'm trying to help see us see a continuum of change that we can move towards without disrespecting the work that anyone's done because we're going to need that knowledge to move to where we hope to go and then two we're not trying to frame anyone as expert we are going to have some guest speakers some elders some folks that can like help us understand ideas but then we're going to put the ideas to work in our small groups yeah and that's just as I understand it how it was done and, you know, we're going to make mistakes and slip up and it won't be perfect because perfect doesn't exist. But if we all hold each other to account to being our best selves together, it's possible. I mean, shoot, <laughs> we did. We were able to do this all across the planet with a lot fewer extraneous resources than we have now. So, yeah, it's believe like I sometimes think you have to believe things into being. And you have to like believe them so hard and communicate your belief and faith that this is possible uh, each time you talk to someone to make it more real. And then that's what, you know, my belief and my being and my acting in this way 
gives us the ability to make it more real because then you see and understand it and then you work that out, that you talk that out and you make your spaces more of what we're hoping to see happen. And that's what I'm excited to see. I, I don't know what workshop number four will look like, but I'm ex- excited to see what, how, it, how, it, how it happens. Have you looked at the world we used to live behind the lake? No, I, but apparently I need you to share that with me. It, it is amazing. So you know who Vine Deloria Jr. Right? No, I. Like one of the things I need to do in, as communication faculty is take a bunch of American Indian Studies classes <laughs> because what's weird is my my background and my discipline tends to make me someone that explains these things well, but there's a certain heart and connection to certain things that I just don't have yet. So let me see. I gotta pull this up real quick. Sure. So Vine Deloria Jr. was was considered one of the most intellectual people of the last hundred years. And he was a Sioux Indian. And he sort of mentored me through my first book. He wrote God is Red. Yeah, I've heard of the book God is Red. Wes Studi just narrated uh, the world we used to live in. And I think you would find it really, really beneficial to either listen to. I have it on my uh, ebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know who West Studi is, right? No, so, uh, but I'll tell you if I don't know. Like, yeah, I have a bit, yeah. no problem admitting what I don't know. Yeah, well, West Studi is, you know, he's won an Oscar. He he played Geronimo. He was uh, okay. Played in Last of the Mohicans. He's he's one of the most recognized Native actors. Okay, there. yeah, then so I you, probably you would know him. who he is. Yeah, immediately as soon as you saw. Great guy, great book. Well, listen, man, thanks for coming by and talking with us about all this exciting work that you are uh, putting together with you and your committee and your community. I see lots of, I recognize lots of names on here. And I just, man, I'm really, really happy to see all this. And I'm glad you got to come by uh, and talk with us a bit about it. We always like to give our guests an opportunity to talk to the community the last word here. What would you like to say to the Maricopa community about your work? I guess what I would say is, if you can make sure these the links to the workshops are embedded here, I would appreciate that. And for me, I really want to invite you to come and to add your voice and to be part of what's going to happen. Because in the time that we've got to talk about stuff, we've just been, I don't know, trying to dream this into being you know like we were talking in our committee like what would a world without syllabuses look like what if like we just spent the first whole class creating community agreements for how to do this best and what would I need and what would you need and how can we make this as dynamic as a co-created learning space as possible but there's systems and processes in Maricopa that I haven't seen or experienced or understood Or if you're a K through 12 educator throughout the valley and you're like, I'm intrigued by this idea, you know, join us. Really, we need all these different voices here and with a good heart attempting to make the good work possible. And without you, it will be less full. It will be less of what I'm hoping for, what we're dreaming of and what we're hoping to bring forward. That being said, though, if if, uh, you're scared by this, maybe don't come. Maybe, you know, take some time, read some of the books that we talked about here. Maybe think about why you're scared or why you're worried or why you're concerned. Because I don't want to see you as an enemy if you are. What I want you to do is look at that enemy in a me to think about why you're feeling this way and why you might be threatened by this thing. Because over the course of my time, I have learned more and more about this and I'm trying to create more and more whole people. Uh, I tell people, you know, like my purpose is like, I want to create spaces where we can heal others. This helps me heal myself so we can create a sense of community and make the world a better place. And, you know, in some ways, I I think that's kind of what we're all here for. And I'd really just like to invite you on that journey. Or if you're feeling worried or scared about things like, you know, look me, I'm one of the more Googleable people (laughs) that you could find. Rowdy Sunray Duncan, like there ain't a million of us out there. Um, like, let me know what you're thinking or feeling, because I'd like to talk to you. Because I don't think, I don't think when we have time to talk that we're truly at odds. I think you're just working from a paradigm of scarcity, a lack of abundance that I don't know is really real. 
And uh, I'd like to hear that perspective too. But yeah, join us, be part of it and help us make this happen because we're trying to open the door as wide as possible and then do it as many times as we can. Wow, wonderful. We want to thank you again for being here. And uh, I just want to let the community know I am working on uh, bringing my stuff into these interviews. It's it, it's hard to do, but I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm learning. So forgive me for if I get too much into what, or what we're doing. But anyway, we want to thank you for being here. My dad's language, they say, don't let the go. We'll see each other again. And remember, everybody, take care of each other out there. We're all we have. And with that, that was the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Eddie Webb and myself. If you are interested in signing up for these workshops, they will be available virtually, and I will make sure that they are in the show notes. And with that, if you enjoyed the podcast, if this was something that was helpful or helped you grow, please rate, review, share the podcast with other folks that might want to go to these series of workshops. I'm very excited to do something like this in that, like I mentioned, None of this has been done in the United States, as far as we know. It has been done in Canada, but not necessarily the U.S. And so with that, um, please sign up for the workshops. Please rate and review the podcast. Please share it. And with that, if this made you think of something or you have any questions, you can email me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net. That's I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E-A-C-T-I-V-I-S-M at cox.net. Or you can learn more about me and the work that I do at inclusiveactivism.com. It's been a very busy June, and uh, I don't know that I'll get another podcast out till the end of the month, but I appreciate your thoughts, your ears, and your attention, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Peace and blessings.